0: Because your soul has some intentions of its own. Those intentions are harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. And as you begin to create and bring with those intentions and bring those intentions into your life, you begin to align your personality with your soul. And that is the definition of creating real power, authentic power.
1: Hi, I'm Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. So, I'm beaming right now because the man sitting in front of me is Gary Zukav, and if you are anywhere into personal growth, and spirituality. You've probably heard of this man. He wrote a number of books that have transformed millions of lives. Gary is so influential in this field that he was invited to appear on Oprah more than 30 times to discuss transformation in human consciousness concepts. His first book was called The Dancing Wu Lee Masters that was published in 1979 and it won a US National Book Award He followed up that masterpiece with the seat of the soul and then spiritual partnerships. And Gary's newest book, universal human drops June 22nd. And so we're really, really, really excited to have Gary with us. Gary's work has influenced me in so many ways and much of the philosophy you sometimes hear me speak about unity, reverence, come from Gary's ideas. And so Gary Zukov, we are so excited to have you here on the Mind Valley podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Vishen. And I'd like to say thank you for that compliment that these are my ideas, but they're not really. They come from the universe. So you have the same source to them that I do. And this is one of the things that I love pointing out. This is our new consciousness. But I do love sharing them. And I feel that I can contribute in that
1: way. Gary, thank you for your humbleness. Now, you're obviously a brilliant man. You graduated from Harvard University. You wrote your book, The Dancing Wooly Masters, was a science book. But for people who may not be familiar with this incredible movement that you've had to become one of the most recognized spiritual teachers today, I'd love for you to talk about how you got started in this field.
0: <laughs> well, you know, there's a story about someone who walked into a photo gallery tried to talk down the photographer on the price of the photo. And he said, how long did it take you to take that photograph? And she looked at him and said, 30 years and three one hundredths of a second. Well, that's the way it is with this endeavor of mine. I can't tell you how long it's been, but it's been a long time, maybe in experiences that predate my lifetime, because it gives me so much joy and so much fulfillment. Just to talk about these things. I think that book, The Dancing Bully Masters, might be a good arbitrary place to start. At that time, I was living in San Francisco. I was experimenting with drugs, lots of them. I was addicted to sex. Motorcycles were a big part of my life. I thought I was really cool. I didn't realize how unhappy I was. I just didn't realize. I was angry a lot. And then I got this invitation to go to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, which is a government facility. And there I met some of the most remarkable physicists in the world. And I got so excited when I came home, I couldn't express what was exciting me so much. It's like I had three cups of cappuccino and they were all sparking off my fingertips. But I couldn't explain why I was so excited. I asked if I could come back. They said I could. They were very gracious. And I started to write this book, The Dancing ruling Masters, an overview of the new physics. And it's about quantum theory and relativity. And I never dreamed these things could be interesting. I never liked science. I never could do any mathematics of any kind. I knew I wouldn't be involved in physics indefinitely. And I wanted to share what I was learning with everyone who might be interested in this thing called quantum mechanics. And so I wanted to offer it on a platinum tray. And I did.
1: I was going to say, that book was so influential. There was an article, a review about it in the New York Times in 1979. And that reviewer said, a book that manages to explain relativity and a lot more without resorting to a single bit of mathematics.
0: That's because I couldn't do a single bit of mathematics. (laughs) But I've always felt that to share something, I need to go to the heart of it, Mm -hmm. the very heart of it. If I could explain quantum mechanics without resorting to the jargon and a lot of physicists cannot by the way i discovered that then i could really share something so i started writing and i made an outline with each chapter in it and as soon as i started writing i diverted from the outline it wasn't interesting anymore the energy was going someplace else And after six months, I had six chapters written and they all fit together like they belong together. But how did that happen? Because I didn't put them together. And that's when I discovered non-physical reality. That's when I discovered it's not possible to create alone. I used to think I'm the creator of this, but Mm -hmm. I discovered that I can't create alone because it's not possible to be alone. I want to offer that as a suggestion to our family here in this meetup that you're never alone. And I began to experience a depth of comprehension and magnitude. I mean, I always knew that I had some IQ, but this is not a realm of IQ. IQ is like knowing how to write, but what you're writing, that's what's important. So the book, as you pointed out, won an award, and it got this large write-up in the New York Times I'd never liked science. I'd never written a book before and here it was being acclaimed. And so it gave me a tremendously big head. But I did it in an inverse way. <laughs> Instead of bragging about myself, I would say, "No, no, it's nothing really. It's not me." And I withdrew for a while, for 10 years. And I was writing another book called Physics and Consciousness. And I really liked that idea, but it all came from here and upward. So Somewhere, I discovered in my isolation. I went to live in seventy-five thousand acres of timberland. That something else was calling to me, and I wrote *The Seat of the Soul* about evolution, souls, reincarnation, and a new consciousness that's emerging. And then from there, everything that I've done, or that Linda, Francis, my spiritual partner, and I have done, has been about sharing these things. That's why I'm here. So it came to me in the most surprising way. And since I do not consider myself, I used to consider myself a really special person. Now, I don't consider myself a really special person. So this could happen to me. It can happen to you.
1: I love your humility, and I get where you're coming from. But the fact is, there is something special about your books. Your second book, The Seed of the Soul, what year was that published? 89. 89, right? For those of you who are listening, do you know Oprah declared the seed of the soul as her most favorite book, second only to the Bible? She said she keeps a copy of it by her bedside. And Gary is the most popular guest on Oprah, appearing, I believe, was it 35 times on the Oprah Winfrey show?
0: It was a lot. More than any other guest. Now, I really appreciate your compliments, and I recognize how good the books are. I know that because they make me cry, because they involve me. That's when I'm writing something. If I'm not involved in it, I throw it away. It just comes from my mind. If I really want to go back and read it again, and sometimes it touches me deeply, then I know it's worth keeping and it's worth sharing. So I know they're good, but I also know that one of the reasons they're good is those are one of my gifts to give. Everyone's got gifts to give. So, I want to share that with all of us here. You've got gifts to give too. And it may not be writing books. It may be raising a family. It may be doing what you're doing, Vishen, because obviously what you're doing is super stellar. It's just out of nowhere. You create Mind Valley and it's supporting so many people in so many deep and significant ways. Well, people say, well, I don't think I could do that. I know I couldn't, but you can because you are unique and you have gifts to give and you're giving them well my suggestion is that everyone is unique truly it's not that snowflake analogy is not just poetry it's real and everyone has gifts to give and as you give the gifts you were born to give you start to fill with passion with excitement you start to feel grounded connected you want to get up It's the opposite of the depression I used to have when I lived in San Francisco and was doing all these, what I thought were cool things. So meaning is your inner compass. As you feel meaning in your life, you are beginning to align yourself with your soul. You're beginning to move in the direction that your soul wants to move. As meaning empties from your life, the opposite. You're moving in an opposite direction. If you're moving the opposite direction, everything goes wrong in your life. Nothing seems to go right. So you have, I'm speaking to everyone now, everyone I'm seeing in this marvelous chat box with people all over the world, you have gifts to give. You are unique. What keeps you from giving them? Fear. And that's what all of these books talk about. We are in new territory, new territory. How can you tell? You can look inside yourself for one thing and see if you begin to have experiences that are a little different. The what you used to have. Like, do you ever have the thought that you're more than a mind and a body? Do you ever have the thought that the world around you, somehow it isn't just completely random and it's just happening around you and there's nothing you can do, but maybe that it's meaningful. There's something in it that can teach you about yourself, not about the world. And when you think about the universe, like I used to take, the only science course I ever took was in high school. And what I got out of that was that the universe is... Inert, which means dead, empty, random, cold, meaningless. Have you ever had the thought that maybe it's none of those things? Maybe it's alive, wise, compassionate. Well, you can't prove that, but how does it make you feel? Because how you feel inside and your internal experience has become more important to you as you examine this new territory we're in. So that's the beginning vision to where did all this start? Same thing for everyone here. I want to give you a suggestion that you are, I'll say it this way, you may be more than you think you are. Your origins may be more than biological and your creative capacity may be more than you think. So begin to experiment with these things. Don't let anyone tell you, you can't do that, but I can because that person's not coming from love. They're coming from fear. But if you know I'm trying to point to my heart. That's a good guide to follow. Gary, there are so
1: many people here who are so passionate about your work. We have 620 people live with us right now. So for those of you who are live with us, all of you Mind Valley members, open up the Q&A box and ask any question about any of Gary's works. I'm sure if you go through his books, you will find that you have highlighted so many different topics. I have a list of highlights open in front of me It's probably about 90 highlights just from the Seed of the Soul itself. So I want to bring you guys up to get a chance to converse with Gary. You're going to get five minutes each, and I want you to ask your biggest questions. Now, please ensure that the questions you ask are questions relevant to everyone listening. So don't make it about you. Rather, make it as generic as possible. And to ensure that when you open up the Q&A, you don't just have to put in your question, but you vote up anyone else's question that you feel is highly relevant. So right now we have uh, leading questions from Roger, Cathy, and JD.
0: May I make a request? When you ask these questions, don't ask me questions from your head because our time together is... One of the things I've realized after
1: conducting well over a thousand interviews with the world's greatest thought leaders in everything from entrepreneurship to spirituality, to health and wellness, to relationship, is that life is enormous and there are so many ways we can make our life better and better in every way in every single day. If you're successful in just one area of life, you might just suck in another. I've known billionaires whose romantic lives were in shambles. I've known incredibly emotionally intelligent people who just couldn't make money. And that's totally fine. It doesn't matter where you are. Life doesn't have to stay the same forever. You're not cursed or destined to be miserable or unlucky in love or struggling to make ends meet. You would just never thought how to have it all. How to do things differently. How to master the human experience from a mind, body and soul perspective. This is where Mind Valley membership comes in. When you become a Mind Valley member, you are coached by the greatest teachers in the world. You get to live a life beyond your wildest dreams and learn the best systems, protocols, methods, step by step by step in just 20 minutes a day to get there. You become the man or woman that you've always aspired to be. And this happens in the easiest, most effective way because of the Mind Valley transformational model. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't settle for your life the way it is now. Aspire to step
0: into your greatness. It's precious and we don't have that much of it. I mean, actually, from a larger point of view, you could say we've got eternity to work these things out. But here with you and me in Vision, don't ask me just questions from your mind. Go to your heart. Ask significant questions, questions that are important to you, questions that are meaningful to you in your life. And everyone's got those. And in our new territory, it's important to look at those and really open yourself to what they are and what different answers might be. So I'm
1: going to start with the first question, Gary, and this is the most powerful idea I got from your book, Seed of the Soul. I'd love for you to tell us about reverence. What does it mean? And what does it mean to be someone who operates from a place of reverence?
0: Reverence is everything. There's different ways of approaching what we're going to talk about. Reverence is a wonderful one. Reverence is going to the essence of something. It's going beyond the shell of form and into essence. For example, if you look at your life, you could say, well, it's just, I was born, I'm gonna die and here I am. Or if you're religious, you might have some beliefs, but they might not actually be experiences. Reverence, if you look at the earth school is going to the heart of your life. You could say, I'm in a school. I'm in an educational environment, and it's got only one purpose, and that is to teach me to love. Well, that's a pretty general statement and has been said for a long time. So we can talk about that in more precise and helpful terms. We could say its sole purpose, no pun, is to grow spiritually. What does that mean? It means to become emotionally aware so you can make responsible choices. And the earth Scroll gives you opportunities to do that all the time because your interactions with people, with events, produce emotional currents in you. Some of them are painful, very painful, like heartache. That is not a poetic term. That's a real term. And emotional pain can hurt as much as hitting your thumb with a hammer. And so when you come to recognize those emotions not as obstacles to your spiritual growth, but as something that's worth your while to pay attention to because they are preventing you from giving the gifts that you were born to give. So if you were born to raise a family, create a business, become a welder, whatever it is, you can't do it. You can't give your gifts when you're angry, when you're jealous, when you're resentful, when you're feeling superior or inferior, when you're caught up in the addictive sexual energy current. In other words, you can't love. So how can you connect reverently to someone else when you're angry, when you're jealous, when you're resentful? You can't. You can't be reverent. You can't give the gifts you were born to give. You can't love. These are all the same thing. So as you create real power in your life, you learn to distinguish between those energy currents that create destructively when you follow them, like the ones I just mentioned. And those energy currents that create constructively when you follow them. For example, gratitude, appreciation, caring, patience, contentment, all of the universe. When you follow those energy currents, they feel good, not painful. And the consequences that you create are constructive, not destructive. And you start to move toward your soul And as you learn to recognize these destructive energy currents, and we'll call them fear, just to give the basket a shorthand label, as you start to challenge them, which means when you feel them, you decide you can't just stop feeling them. That would be nice. I've tried. doesn't work for me. But if jealousy comes or pain comes or grief comes, it comes. But I can feel it, and you can too, fully. That's what emotional awareness is really about and then choose even while you're feeling that not to act on it to reach for the healthiest most grounded sane loving part of your personality not sentimentally loving healthy loving and act from that even while you're feeling the pain of fear you act with love and as you do that again and again and again and again and then you add a lot of agains to that you begin to recognize these painful, fearful experiences. They still come, but they don't control you as much. It's like water running off the feathers of a duck. And at the same time, you begin to cultivate the loving aspects of your personality. For example, if you challenge your impatience by not acting on it, you're cultivating your patience. And your awareness begins to Include more and more loving experiences. And you move in that direction. That's the direction that your soul wants to move. Because your soul, I want to suggest, has some intentions of its own. Those intentions are harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life, which is your question, reverence. And as you begin to create and bring with those intentions and bring those intentions into your life, you begin to align your personality with your soul. And that is the definition of creating real power, authentic power. So you can see how it's all connected. Reverence can't be pulled out of that. If you pull that thread, everything comes with it. Real power, love, emotional awareness, responsible choices, As you become authentically powerful, you become the authority in your life. Not anyone else, not even your parents. And I say that respectfully. The
1: word authentic power is all across your books. For people here who are new to your work, can you define that for us? What is authentic power? And how does reverence and authentic power connect as concepts?
0: Yes. Authentic power is aligning your personality with your soul, with those intentions of your soul. We're in new territory. I say this to all of us for your consideration. Really new territory. Human consciousness itself is changing. This is the big news. And I don't mean the big news like today or yesterday or this month or of the decade or the millennia. I mean the big news. Human consciousness has evolved for 300,000 to 2.5 million years, depending upon how you where you start counting. But this change in consciousness is happening within a few generations. From a point of view of evolution, that's explosive. That's faster than a heartbeat or an eye blink. And it's happening now. So when I say we're in new territory, the old territory was confined to the perceptions of the five senses. We thought that's what the world is. That's what the universe is. And we thought that power meant the ability to manipulate and control. That's external power. Our world is built on external power. As the new consciousness emerges in you and in us, your understanding of power begins to shift to alignment of your personality with the intentions of your soul. And you move in that direction.
1: Authentic power is the alignment of our personality with our soul and moving in alignment with our soul.
0: Yes, that's exactly right. And in my experience, to do that is a meditation. It's a heartfulness meditation. And it's lifelong. Now, some people can have a satori or samadhi quickly. Consciousness can change just like that. But just in case you're like me, (laughs) you're taking a more incremental approach while you're waiting for that to happen, not waiting for it because you need it to happen, but because you're recognizing potential abounds. It's a universal potential. Even though I've written books on metaphysics, I'm not a metaphysical person. I just wanted to include that, the most accurate context that I could provide for these discussions we're having. I'm a practical person. The question is, what can I do now? What can I do now? Challenging my sexual addiction at the time was a real journey into that. In fact, there's an entire chapter in the Seat of the Soul about addiction. It's a question of what can I do now? What can I do when I'm feeling grief? What can I do when I'm feeling lost? What can you do? External power and the old consciousness all have the same answer change the world change the world. You lose the one you can't live without, find another. You lose your job, get a better one. You don't like your situation, make it better. Well, what I'm pointing out here is not that you shouldn't do things to move in the direction you want to move, but that while your attention is focused on changing the world, you don't change. As you don't change, then these experiences don't change for you because it's not the world and by the way, I'm offering all of these as suggestions, as ways that I've come to look at life. And I hope it will be helpful to you. But I don't say you need to believe them. But if you find any resonance in them, then explore that. So the, the resonance here, if you have it, is that trying to change the world doesn't work anymore. That's part of the new territory we're in. As you become multi-sensory, which means you have more than five senses now, to inform you about your life and and the reality that you're in. As you become multisensory, you begin to see that your love and your fear are the same fear and love that are in the world. So if you want to change the world, you have to change yourself. This is the new territory. Everyone knows Gandhi was supposed to have said, be the change. He said something in essence that was that, but... It's actually so, and you can experiment with it yourself. If this world that we're in is built on external power by five sensory humans who were evolving by surviving and surviving by pursuing external power, manipulation and control, then there's no way we can change this world by adding more external power to it. So we can't manipulate it and control it into changing You can't proselytize or convert somebody into being loving. The only way you can change this world is to put something in it that isn't there now. And that's authentic power. So until you do, the world's not going to change. And I'm not saying this is good and that's bad. I'm suggesting, in fact, I'm saying that if you don't change, you don't change. There's only one person who can change you and that's you. Now, people can help you, that's spiritual partnership, but no one can do it for you. Did that answer the question you were asking?
1: Thank you. So we've spoken about reverence, we've spoken about authentic power, and reverence, just to read a quote from you, reverence is the attitude of honoring life. You do not have to be authentically empowered to be gentle with life or to love life. There are many people who are not authentically empowered, but who are quite reverent. They would not harm nothing. And you also went on to say, reverence is not respect. Respect is a judgment. It is response to the perception of qualities that we ourselves admire. Qualities that are admired by the people of one culture may not be admired by the people of another culture. Therefore, what is respected by some people may not be respected by others. Reverence is not respect. It is honoring of life.
0: It's knowing that life is a value in and of itself. That life in and of itself is sacred, however you define sacred.
1: Beautiful. Now, so that's reverence. And then authentic power is being in alignment with your soul purpose.
0: Yes. It's aligning your personality with your soul in every way that you can. And here's some concrete ways you can do that. If your soul's intentions are harmony, Cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. Look at how you can bring that into your life. These are interesting questions because now the world into which we are awakening is a world of discord, competition, hoarding, and exploitation. It's a world in which life is a cheap commodity. And so, as you begin to awaken to this world, as you become a spiritual person, you realize that it's not easy to be a spiritual person in a world that does not yet recognize spirit. But yet, as it's emerging in you, it is your health calling you. It is your higher potential calling you. It is your beauty and your love, all the things that you are calling to you, calling to you, and you're feeling it. Now, here's the thing. If you don't follow that call, It's not as though you're doing a bad thing or you're going to be punished. You just won't change. But the consequences for you could be difficult. You know, in the Gnostic Gospels, which date back to 200 years after Christ, and the Gnostics, by the way, were almost, they were eradicated. The Christians wanted to slaughter them. The message of love didn't penetrate too deeply then. And they had Gospels that are not in the Bible. One of them is the Gospel according to Thomas, Thomas said, Christ said, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. You can feel that in yourself. Now, those words were spoken, or we are told they were spoken, a couple of millennia ago. The world was five sensory. Now it's becoming, human population is becoming multi-sensory. We can see more, we can feel more, we can perceive more. Our understanding is not limited to the intellect. There's a higher order of logic and understanding of the heart, and we're beginning to encounter that as well. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know if I'm really encountering that. Well, maybe you are. The new consciousness doesn't come on shafts of sunlight from the heaven, and there's no neon lights associated with it. Often there's not even a person around you to say, wow, did you hear what you just said? That was wise.
1: Gary, I would love to read a passage from your book, one of my favorite highlights from Seed of the Soul. You wrote, you are only as powerful as that for which you stand. Do you stand for more money in the bank and a bigger house? Do you stand for an attractive mate? Do you stand for imposing your way of thinking upon others? These are the stands of the personality seeking to satisfy its wants. Do you stand for perfection, for the beauty and compassion of each soul? Do you stand for the power of love and the clarity of wisdom? Do you stand for forgiveness and humbleness? These are the stands of the personality that has aligned itself with its soul. This is the position of a truly powerful personality. That's it. And I just wanna say, you went on to write, what are the characteristics of an authentically empowered human being? An authentically empowered human being is humble, you wrote. (laughs) And I love how humble you are. I literally had to tell you, oh, Gary, knock it off. You are amazing. But it's amazing being in the presence of such authentic power. Do you guys get that? Do you guys see how he lives? what he writes. I love that about this
0: man. I don't live like this all the time. I have frightened parts of my personality. And when they come up, I can feel their anger. I can feel their resentment. I can feel their superiority. Superiority and anger are things that I've had frightened parts of my personality I've experienced all of my life and I didn't think they were frightened parts of my personality. I would have thought that was a bit strange in terminology. I just thought this is the way I am. Yeah, I'm angry. I've always been angry and I always will be. put that in your pipe and smoke it. That was my attitude. <laughs> and so I've changed, but I still have these frightened parts of my personality and I still challenge them and that's the creation of authentic power. So I suggest to you that you not judge yourself by your low watermark. If I judge myself by my low watermark, I could never be at a meetup like this and say the things that I'm saying. A part of my personality will say, how can you say those things, you hypocrite? You get angry. You get jealous. You feel superior or you feel inferior. How can you tell people this? Well, I can do it because I don't assess myself by my low watermark. I assess myself by my high water mark, and that is what allows me to share. And you can do the same thing, too. In fact, that's a choice. One of the tools of creating authentic power is choice, responsible choice. So I started out by saying reverence is everything. I can also say choice is everything. Intention is everything. Intention of love or an intention of fear. So... When you stop judging yourself, well, if you're like me, when you judge yourself less, you'll find out you judge other people less also if the two come together. So you can't just say, I'm going to stop judging the people around me because you're still going to judge yourself. And that's where that judgment comes from. So
1: Gary, I would love to move to another idea. And this is from your book, Spiritual Partnerships. This book was another book of yours that changed my life and changed how I show up in relationships. So I wanna read the definition. This is from page 166 of Spiritual Partnerships. And I love this. It opened my eyes to a new definition of what it is to be in a loving relationship. And you said, spiritual partnership is partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth. It is dramatically different from all previous forms of relationship and serves a different purpose. The partners are together in order to help one another grow spiritually instead of enhance their physical comfort and safety. Spiritual partnerships are vehicles that multi-century individuals use to create authentic power and support one another in creating authentic power. They are a fundamental part of a new evolutionary process. Please talk about
0: spiritual partnerships. It's a new archetype. It's never been in the human experience before, just as the experience and idea of authentic power has never been in our experience before. Spiritual partnership, by the way, it's not just a dyadic relationship. It's not just for couples. It's a relationship that's replacing every form of relationship that we now have, whether that's marriage or business partnerships or friendships as we were 5 century when we were, there was no need for and even no ability to understand a relationship between equals because that didn't happen either. A relationship between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth, not for the purpose of raising a family, not for the purpose of making money, not for the purpose of creating an empire, not for the purpose of dismantling all the injustices in the world, but for spiritual growth. Which means creating authentic power. Because as you create authentic power, you begin to see. And the new consciousness helps you see how to create authentic power. And as you do, you begin to see that the new consciousness in you is actually real. And one of the things about the new consciousness is a new understanding of justice. Justice is non judgmental justice. So we can talk about the law of cause and effect or karma. We don't need to get into that now. Everyone has a sense of what karma means. It means you get what you give. That's justice. That's the way it is. And as you see that, you begin to see that if you want to write an injustice in the world, you can see that the world doesn't think in terms of injustice. If I could describe the earth school, it wouldn't be in terms of right or wrong. It would be in terms of cause and effect. Every cause creates an effect and every effect has a cause and every effect itself is a cause. So when you see someone being abused, you can look at anything that's happening around the world, systemic racism, all racism is systemic, it's fear. It's fear of difference. It's fear of someone who looks differently than you do, speaks differently, dresses differently, believes differently, talks differently. And that fear, creates communities, it creates cliques, it creates private clubs, it creates public clubs, which are really private, because there's some people that are excluded. And the people that are excluded are always the people that you fear. Fear is the glue that holds communities together. So how can you go beyond systemic racism? How can you go beyond local racism? And there isn't such a thing because fear is, it doesn't know borders or boundaries. How can you go beyond caste? People think just India has caste. It's not so. As you become more aware of the earth school, you begin to see what the American caste system is or wherever you are, the German caste system. That's an easy one to see because it's not easier to see in Germany than it is in France or Portugal or Vietnam or anywhere else. What we're talking about are the products of fear. Another big change, I know this is the third time I've said this, but a big change in the new consciousness is that the pursuit of external power is not only non-productive now, it's toxic. It's counterproductive to our evolution. It won't take you where you want to go. It will only create violence and destruction. And this is big news because the pursuit of external power used to be good medicine. It used to be our evolutionary tool, what we needed to survive. Now it prevents our survival. So, As you look around, you'll see that the world that we inherited from a five-sensory species is built on external power. Everything in it our social structures, for example. And that's why they're all disintegrating. And they can't be saved. They don't have salvage value because they have no foundation anymore. They're built on external power. They express external power. Their function is external power. And external power is now. Counterproductive in every way. So this is the newness of the territory, the largeness of the territory that we're in. Different kind of power, Mm -hmm. different perceptions of the world. And by the way, it isn't a mystical kind of thing that happens as multi-sensory perception emerges in you. It's more like watching a black and white movie. And then as you're watching it, it begins to turn into a color movie. You don't lose your five senses. I still see the world. I've got a zip code and an email address and all of those things that I used to see, I still see, and you will still see, but you'll see more in them. You'll see meaning. You'll see something that resonates with you. You'll see ways to contribute and you'll see ways that are keeping you from contributing. And this is where emotional awareness and responsible choice come into the picture and intuition. We could talk about that later too. Vishen, you were talking about spiritual partnership when we started. So no one can create authentic power for you and you can't create it for anyone else because no one knows your intentions. Only you can choose them, but you can help one another create authentic power. For example, I'm with Linda a lot. And she's a wonderful spiritual partner. She'll say things like, do you think what you just said came from love or fear? Or she'll say, what are you feeling? Where are you feeling that in your body? Or she'll ask me, what was your intention when you said that or when you did that? That's what spiritual partners can do for one another.
1: Gary, I'd like to bring up someone, Adrienne Charles. She has a question on spiritual partners and the question got a lot of votes from the rest of the audience. So Adrienne, ask Gary your question come on stage with us hi how are you hi adrian Hi, thank you i have watched all your super soul sunday talks and i have seat of the soul and i've appreciated everything but i wanted to know for myself and the community what are some of the steps to create and find your spiritual partner
0: And what do I have to do to be worthy
1: of attracting my spiritual partner?
0: Hmm. It's not a matter of being worthy of attracting a spiritual partner. You will attract. There's a dynamic in the universe. Well, a lot of people call it the universal law of attraction. But it doesn't mean if you're really thinking about it, getting a Ferrari, you get a Ferrari you attract it to you. That's not at all my understanding of it. The law of attraction simply is that Energy attracts like energy. So, if you're angry, you're going to attract angry people. If you're superior in your attitude, you're going to attract people who are superior. And you're going to think that you live in an angry world or a world of superior people because you're attracting them. So, if you're more loving, then you begin to attract loving people. I was angry, and boy, was I attracting angry people. And I could see them everywhere in environmentalists and political activists. Everybody that had a cause angrily had a cause. So you're asking how you can attract a spiritual partner. It's the same answer to how you can attract anything. Become it yourself. I know for me, I was living in a little town in Northern California, Mount Shasta. I had been sort of a secular monk for seven years. And this was following a former lifetime of being addicted to sex. And then I began to think, I think I might want to have a partner. So I looked around all the women that I knew in Mount Shasta. I love them all as sisters. We were in a community there. And I thought, well, this isn't going to work. Maybe I'm going to have to move to San Francisco or a place where (laughs) the talent pool is deeper. But before I could do that, it turns out that I met my to-be spiritual partner. She came to Mount Shasta to go to an event that some people in my community were putting on. And I went there to speak and I met her. And the first thing that happened when I saw her was I didn't like her. I pushed her away. Not only that, she's a pretty elegant person. But when I met her, she was wearing a sweatsuit, going barefoot. And in sweat, she had a haircut that looked to me like a bowl cut, (laughs) like old monks used to have. It wasn't that bad. But the point is, I was not attracted to this person at all. At this event, I decided to stay for the event because I was welcome to do that. And we started to be put together. For example, we went to a music event at night and a friend would save her a seat and a friend would save me a seat and the seats were together. Wonderful things happen with Linda that surprised me. Not wonderful like, oh my, no, no, just surprising, very surprising. And she wound up moving to Mount Shasta. In fact, she had planned to move to Mount Shasta before she met me and then decided she wasn't going to move to Mount Shasta because she wasn't going to move anywhere because of a man. And then she moved there because she thought, I'm not going to not move anywhere because of a man. So she moved there. And I helped her find a cabin of her own. And we started to see each other. It wasn't dating. We just sometimes we'd meet in the afternoon. And sometimes it was pleasant for me. And sometimes it was very unpleasant. I felt very uncomfortable around her. And after about maybe four or five months, this thought came to my mind. I think I'm in a relationship. It was surprising to me because I never really had a relationship, especially with a woman. It was all sexual and trying to sort out what happened then. She went to see someone in Europe, a teacher. And while she was gone, I realized I don't want to live without this person. Not in a romantic way. I just want to live with her. And while she was gone, she came to the same conclusion. So we moved into my little cabin, and then it began. I had to learn to share something for the first time in my life—really share. I hadn't been a parent. I had so had to share my closet, the chest of drawers, the house—just a little house anyway. I've still been learning how to share, and I still am. And to really be intimate and. That was the surprise. As I began to be with this person more, I began to realize not only that I loved her, but here's the thing. I loved loving her. I still do. I love loving Linda. Now, where did that come from? My guess is that it came from other lifetimes. How can I have that experience, not only of loving someone, but of loving that process with that person? So this is how I would answer your question, how to attract someone. It's not that you're not worthy of them. You're getting exactly what you're worthy of now. It doesn't reflect your worth. Your worth is inestimable. Your presence in the earth school and in the universe is priceless. Everyone's presence is precious, not more precious or less precious than anyone else. But it's your perception of yourself as unworthy. That is the energy that's attracting right now. And I would not want to attract someone because that means I would attract someone who feels unworthy to have a spiritual partner and then look to me to make them feel worthy. Right. That's painful.
1: Thank you, Adrienne.
0: Thank so. you. Oh, thank you, Adrian. Thank you so much.
1: Beautiful conversation. So for those of you who are interested in going deeper with Gary's work, please visit his website, seatofthesoul.com, seatofthesoul.com. Gary's newest book drops June 22nd, and I was just telling Gary, I'd love for him to come on live with us again, just before that book goes out around June 18, 1920. So his newest book is called Universal Human, and you can learn about it on Amazon, or you can pre-order it on iBooks, I just did, or you can go to seatofthesoul.com and all of Gary's information is there. His life school, his authentic power course, his authentic power guidelines, free tools for you to use, please check out seedofthesoul.com if you're listening to this episode today. Now, Gary, before we go, I'd like to bring up another guest who has the highest voted question right now. And that is Bernadette Dara. Yes, hi, everybody. So it's really wonderful being here. So my question was around source purpose. So how can we find our source purpose? And if you have any practical tips where to start, that would be really wonderful.
0: Yeah use meaning as your compass. We've talked about this a little earlier. When you're doing things that are meaningful to you, you're going in the direction that your soul wants to go. And when you don't go in that direction, meaning starts to drain from your life. And when you go in the opposite direction, it's like the Greek myth of Sisyphus who was condemned to roll a heavy boulder up the top of a hill And when he got to the top, just before he could get it over, it slipped away from him and rolled all the way down. And he had to go back and start over. That's what your life feels like when you're not going the way your soul wants to go. You ask yourself, is this all there is? There's got to be more meaning than this. So follow meaning. Look at the thought that might give you meaning and experiment with it. In other words, don't look at your life as an experience, but begin to look at it as an experiment and see where it leads you. I don't know what agreement, what sacred contract you have with the universe that your soul made before you incarnated, but you cannot find it while you're in the control of fear. As you begin to move into love, you become naturally drawn toward it. And then it may surprise you. You might discover that your contribution is in something completely surprising, like business or a new form of commerce or healthcare or education or raising a family. Everyone has got their gift. And that's how we started a little earlier by suggesting that you not think that your gift is better than someone else's gift. Vision is giving his gift. It's quite beautiful to see. And I love to have talks like this and write the books that I do. And there are things that do give you meaning. But if you don't pay attention to meaning when you feel it in you and allow yourself to go in that direction, you can't explore them and you won't bring those, you won't bring those things into your life. This is like saying your soul, you might put it this way, has planted seeds in you, the incarnation. Like you would plant seeds in soil. But if no one says, Bernadette, there's seeds over there. See what happens if you take care of them. So you go over there and water them every other day or every week, and also put some nutrient on the ground and see what happens. And you think, well, it's just a barren patch. I'm not even interested in there. I've never gone to that part of my backyard, but you do because someone said that and it meant something to you. You don't know why you just said, well, maybe I should do that. And then a sprout comes up and you know what follows there. If you continue to pay attention to the sprout and to nurture it, then it grows into a plant. And then maybe it bears fruit or a flower. It's something like that. You can't nurture it if you don't even know the seed is there. Or maybe you sort of know it, but you don't pay attention to it. And then you can't watch it flower and see its beauty and see its seeds or the fruit that it produces unless you're willing to give it nutrient. And the only nutrient in the earth school that (laughs) works and never fails to work is love that's not need there's no such thing as unrequited need unrequited love unrequited need is what's painful love is not painful it's blissful it's meaningful so pay attention to meaning and let us know post it somewhere I'd, I'd just love to hear from you what this produces what you produce
1: it's so profound thank you very much <laughs> Thank you Benadette thank you everyone for asking your beautiful questions.
0: I just want to say in about a month, we're going to have an entirely new website that we're building just for you. Same address. If you want to see what it looks like, you can go to universalhuman.com, which is the book page, but you'll get a sense of the style and the elegance and the friendliness and the invitation that we're attempting to put into everything we do now.
1: Yes. Remember, seatofthesoul.com, universalhuman.com. Gary, it's so good that you got the domain names matching your book titles. That can be expensive and hard to do. I wasn't able to acquire all my domain names, but I'm so proud of you for being able to do so. And the website looks beautiful. So guys, go to universalhuman.com and you can pre-order the book right there. I've started reading it. Gary gave me an advanced copy, and it is as good as any of his prior work. Gary, thank you so much.
0: Vision, I'm so delighted to be here and thank you for sharing your family with me. Well, family isn't big enough word. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's joined us.